Welcome to the Accessible South Africa Travel Podcast. This is a podcast where we discuss travel in South Africa and beyond for persons with disabilities and special needs with our host, Lois Strachan. Join us as we share inspiring stories of people who travel, exciting, accessible travel experiences, and showcase service providers who will accommodate those with special needs. And now, on with the show. Welcome to today's episode of the Accessible South Africa Travel Podcast. I'm your host, Lois Strachan. Today we're talking to our first international guest, Josh Grisdale, who's very active in supporting travelers with disabilities through various platforms online. Then, in our service provider spotlight, we're taking a panoramic view of Cape Town as we check out the accessibility of the Cape Wheel in the Victoria and Alfred waterfront. But before we get there, let's chat to Josh. Today on the Accessible South Africa Travel Podcast, we're talking with Josh Grisdale, who is involved in the accessible travel industry as part of the work he does. I first encountered Josh when I started researching doing a travel podcast and found his podcast and one of his platforms that is specializes in accessible travel. Welcome to the podcast, Josh. How are you doing today? Good. It's good to be here. It's great to have you with us. And thanks for sharing some time with us this afternoon. My pleasure. Maybe we should start off by just asking you to share a little bit of your story, and then we can go into more of the details of the work that you're doing in accessible travel. Sure, sounds good. So who is Josh Gritsdale? Well, Josh Gritsdale is a handsome young devil from Canada. (laughs) And um, though I live in Japan right now, uh, I was born in a small, small town outside of Toronto. Uh, And actually, I didn't even live in town. I lived about 15 minutes away from the town by car uh, on a sheep farm, actually. And uh, But now I find myself in uh, the busy streets of Tokyo. Um, I have cerebral palsy and I'm quadriplegic. So both of my arms and both my legs don't really work very well. Um, I have never walked and I've been using a wheelchair, well, for, I guess, about 38, well, almost 38 years. I'm 38 years old, but um, I have used a power wheelchair since I was about four years old. So I've been driving for 34 years. And how is it that a young guy from Toronto lands up living in Tokyo? Well, my family uh, always loved travel. So when I was younger, we traveled uh, around Canada. We went to the States, uh, to the UK, to the Caribbean. Now, my family always uh, you know, focused on having a purpose to our uh, travels. So you know, when we were studying history in high school, we'd go to different historical sites uh, throughout North America. And then when I was younger than that, or I was about 16 years old, maybe all of our family members, we go on a, a trip for sort of a parent child bonding. And so my sisters went to, you know, more, more cultural places, but uh, I loved punk music. And so I went to California with my parents and we went to a bunch of places, you know, that appeared in the songs that I liked. I think much to my mother's chagrin, but um, very good uh, about it. Well, Japan came up because I 
well, it was sort of a selfish reason, actually, because I thought that, you know, if I was, uh, you know, going into the IT field, if I could have something that sort of stuck out on my resume, that, that would be good. And uh, even though I lived in a small, small town in rural Ontario, Canada, I uh, we had a Japanese class at my high school. And um, I thought, you know, very selfish reasons. I thought, you know, if I could take that, that would be good for my career. Uh, little did I know that I would fall in love with the country. And, um, you know, that was no small part to my incredible teacher who was not so much interested in grammar and uh, learning words, but loved uh, Japanese culture and history. And so we were always evil, evil students. And whenever we, we knew that he would start talking about uh, something at great length, if we get him started on the topic. So we'd always come up with these different ways to uh, you get him to talk about different cultural aspects of Japan. And then before you knew it, uh, the class was over. But it's, uh, unbeknownst to me, that would spark interest in Japan that probably wouldn't have been there if we had just been studying uh, grammar and vocabulary. So I'm quite excited about that. And when I finished high school, I was interested in going to Japan. And my family was very encouraging about that. And I came with my father back in 2000. And Japan at that time, it was just starting to start uh, become accessible. Uh, some laws have been passed about uh, transportation. Um, and a few of the stations had uh, elevators and such. And you know, they even have a way to where you tell the station staff where it is you want to go. And they'll put a ramp down for you to get on the train. And then they'll call ahead to where it is you're going. And somebody will be waiting for you. And so I experienced that. And I thought, wow, this is a really great country. And I came back a few times and I decided to stay. And I moved here permanently in 2007. What you've, you've told us a little bit, um, just in your introduction there, you've, you've told us a little bit of some of the travels that you've done. Where else have you traveled to? Well, uh, mostly yeah, around the States and Canada. Uh, we went to the UK to visit family. And we, I think, spent maybe about a month there. Um, back in one of the dark ages, I guess, um, a long time ago anyways. Um, and then, yeah, I've traveled a bit, uh, mostly all around Japan from the top to the bottom. I even had an opportunity to go to Mongolia, which was uh, quite an eye-opener in terms of accessibility. In fact, there was really none. And uh, But, you know, it was exciting because, you know, well, something doesn't need to be perfectly accessible as long as you sort of know that going into it. And then you can be prepared. And if you're going with people who are also prepared, then they can you still have a really great time. So you've had some fairly diverse travel experiences then? Yeah, I would say so. <laughs> what got you interested in serving the needs of the accessible travel community? Well, uh, whenever I go on trips, I almost always do a lot of uh, work in terms of uh, looking up information on accessibility uh, before I go to the location. You know, I'll look out, obviously at TripAdvisor and Look at things like, um, you know, what the top 10 places to go or places to eat or wherever are. But uh, much more importantly than that is I will look up, you know, what the transportation is like there, whether I can find accessible accommodation and uh, those kind of things. And it's really important um, for me to uh, enjoy uh, my travel because um, I'm a bit of a worry wart. And so if I don't know what's going to be coming up, then... Uh, I'll spend most of my time worrying about accessibility instead of actually having a good time. Um, so yeah, I find that uh, looking up stuff is really important to me. Um, and so yeah, when I first came to Japan uh, at that time, uh, there was really no information. That was 2000, so it was you know, eight, 19 years ago, I guess. You know, whether well, there's there obviously the internet at that time, there really wasn't the same you know aspect of blogging. You had to do a lot more to put stuff up on the internet. So there's quite a barrier to putting information up on the internet even. And so 
I think my mom found uh, a book put out by the Red Cross about accessibility in Tokyo because they had some sort of uh, conference on rehabilitation medicine or something like that um, a few years before that. And so the Red Cross had made a book about you know, getting around Tokyo with uh, mobility needs. And uh, somehow my mom found that in a book or in a library in Toronto. Um, and so she used that uh, to help our, plan our first couple of trips. And yeah, so for me, it was that I was realizing a couple of years ago that you know, whenever I go somewhere, I'm always looking stuff up. You know, there was really no information on accessibility in Japan in English. And so I'd always be looking up things in Japanese and I'd find that there's information there, but not in English. So I thought, well, I've, you know, we used so many people's uh, blogs and websites over the years that I've gained so much from them that, um, you know, what more important work can I do than uh, to do the same thing for my own country that I love now. Um, and so I started a website called Accessible Japan. And that website is, uh, well, basically about accessibility in Japan. Um, it started off as a small blog, uh, sort of sharing the places I'd gone, uh, what I experienced, how it was like being around uh, my, from my perspective in a wheelchair. Um, and so I started sharing these kind of things. And, um, and then I would get more and more questions about well, what's this place like, or you know, what's it like if I need a guide dog, or what's it like um, you know, if I need to use Braille or something like that. So all these different questions. And so I started you know, building up the site more and more. And uh, I realized, you know, there's really huge importance to uh, sharing information on accessible travel. And so I thought, well, there's not much I can do to necessarily change accessibility, but I can at least tell people what it's like so that they can be prepared and not need to worry about that and instead enjoy their travels. And that site, AccessibleJapan.com, I think from what we discussed earlier, is going to become very important with the upcoming Olympics. Yeah, there's only, uh, I think it's about less than 500 days now. There's a 500 days to the Paralympics event a couple weeks ago. So yeah, uh, Accessible Japan has become sort of a resource for people here in Japan as well um, as they look to uh, improve accessibility and uh, to share things. I, I actually get press releases from the Paralympic Committee now in Tokyo to share on the site for, um, you know, the same as any other newspaper or any other press thing. So it's kind of exciting that I've got to that level with that. That's quite exciting. It shows that your site is being seen as a valuable resource and well done on getting the site to that point. Let's move from Accessible Japan onto the, the site which I first encountered of yours, Accessible Travel Forum. So having one site up dealing with accessible travel, you then moved on to a broader site. Why? <laughs> uh, well, uh, I am a glutton for punishment, and uh, <laughs> so I have a full-time job um, working at an office in Tokyo um, doing web stuff, and uh, I'm the webmaster for that organization. You know, I wanted something sort of my own projects, and that's why I started Accessible Japan, and because it sort of took a life of its own and sort of became a bit more like work, I thought, you know, I need another hobby, right? So I'll say another website. <laughs> yeah, so I started the Accessible Travel Forum, and well, the original reason for that was because I was getting a lot of, uh, you know, questions and emails uh, and contact forms for, uh, from Accessible Japan. You know, I realized that, uh, one, communication is very important, but that with email communications, you're really closing it off to just those two people or whoever's maybe CC'd on the email. And the information sort of dies with that email. In a way, you know, I'd see the same question coming up over and over again from people. 
And maybe it wasn't quite enough to make a full page about it on the website. But there's definitely, you know, I noticed people would have an interest in that topic. Um, so I thought, you know, well, maybe having some sort of uh, online form that uh, people could ask questions on would mean that, uh, you know, other people would see those uh, replies so that they could uh, use the information as well. And I, I found that, you know, maybe of the people who are looking at a website, maybe only, you know, 10 or 20% of the people will get the courage or, you know, go out of their way to ask a question. Whereas a lot more people are willing to, you know, search Google or look at a website. So I figured that even if, I, if I'm getting a question, that maybe there are 10 or 20 other people that have that same question, but just haven't asked. Um, so if you make an open community, then people who are searching on Google or who are searching on that, that forum or uh, just browsing around might find an answer to a question that they had, but didn't have, you know, the, uh, the courage or the, you know, the time to ask. So I found that, you know, having a forum is a great way to share information. But on top of that, it's also a good place to make a community. I find that, you know, in my own experiences uh, with my travels, you know, having people who to support me, uh, to look up information for me, to um, you know, just give encouragement uh, has been really important for that. And so on the forum, um, instead of just having, you know, just the questions and answers, um, there's opportunities for people to sort of chat in groups. So groups are maybe sort of more casual conversations where people can, uh, you know, share uh, good books that they're reading about accessible travel. For example, your book uh, is highly recommended. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and uh, as well as, uh, you know, just maybe other things like, you know, sharing things about silly uh, accessibility that they've had a laugh at because, you know, um, something, you know, a door has a, a post right in front of it so you can't open the door or, you know, some silly stuff like that. Just, you know, people can sort of vent or whatever. Um, and also people can uh, write their own blogs. So everybody who signs up for the website, they get their own personal blog. And so they can share their travels with others. And, you know, maybe you want to start an accessible travel blog, but you're not sure about how to do it, or you're not sure if you want to uh, pay for rental fees or something like that. Well, you can create one on our website for free and uh, share everything with the world and the audience that's there. So the Accessible Travel Forum is really then a way of building a community of travelers with disabilities to share knowledge, share information, share experiences, and to provide value to other and others and answer their questions. Exactly. Well summed up. That's a great resource, definitely one that I've already found of, of, of much use. Now, from the Accessible Travel Forum, we, you moved into a different space, that of the Have Disability Will Travel podcast. Tell us about the podcast. Yeah, um, well, a couple of years ago, uh, when I changed jobs, I found myself commuting more. And, uh, you know, I wanted to stay in contact, right, up to date on the latest news or, um, you know, maybe other discussions. And so I stumbled across podcasts. Um, I know they've been a long, around for a long time, but, you know, just something that sort of fit my lifestyle. And then you know, I'd find this one and I'd find another one. And I keep listening and listening. I really, really enjoyed them. And uh, you know, a particular part of that was I enjoyed, you know, not only that you can learn different things or get ideas or be inspired, but you heard a lot of stories. I think that's different than just reading an article, you know, on, on news or something like that. And so I thought, well, maybe there are a lot of people who are interested in the stories about accessible travel. And so I thought, well, I'm, you know, I'm, I can see what I could do about that. And so I created the Have Disability Will Travel podcast. Um, I think you've 
far surpassed me in a number of episodes now. But uh, <laughs> so I, I try to get maybe one at a month uh, if possible. So yeah, I'm enjoying that. But uh, it's definitely stretching me as well. Um, I don't mind answering questions. I'm, I find it a real challenge to, to think about these questions and, and what it is that I would like to know what other people might want to know. So it's been a good learning experience for myself as well. It's a great podcast, and it's one that I've certainly enjoyed in listening to the um, the episodes you've brought out so far. Where do you find the people that you interview, and who is your audience for the podcast? Well, one of my favorite guests was Lois, who uh, <laughs> yeah, was on a couple episodes back. Yeah, and no, I just uh, I, I watch Twitter and, and Instagram and Facebook and and those kind of places to see uh, who's posting. Uh, and you know, looks information. Or looks inf- uh, sorry, uh, interesting. As well as I always sort of have a call at the end of the podcast that you know, if you have a story to share, or if you think your story is interesting, then please get in contact. And so, um, you know, I try to keep my mind open and uh, you know, learn from as many people as possible. And uh, so, anyone who is interested in coming on and has something to do with accessible travel, whether they're a traveler who has a disability or if they're involved in the travel, accessible travel industry as a provider um, or has some other connection, then uh, they're more than welcome to come and chat. Great. And certainly, hopefully, some of the people listening to this will feel inclined to reach out to you as well. Yeah, for sure. With the, the platforms that you've got and the work that you're doing in accessible travel, what advice would you give to a service provider who wants to become more aware of the needs? Of travelers with disabilities. Well, if there's somebody that is interested in learning more about how to serve their um, people with disabilities, then I think that they are well on the way in the right direction. Uh, just having the attitude uh, and desire to learn from others and to ask about people's needs is, is so important. I think that uh, you know many people with disabilities are used to demanding and. Uh, constantly petitioning places to be accessible. So if a place is interested in learning, well, we're interested in telling and uh, and uh, we're excited to have that kind of uh, opportunity. Um, so I think having the attitude uh, is a great first step. Uh, after that, I'd say that, you know, to ask people who have disabilities um, what their needs are. Um, it seems pretty obvious, but um, I have used uh, many accessible toilets or so-called accessible toilets or hotels uh, around the world that uh, I have had no idea what they were thinking when they created them uh, and knew what is accessible. Uh, for example, hotels here in Japan, there's no real uh, standard as to what uh, is an accessible room. There are laws requiring that, you know, there must be an accessible room for any hotel over 50 rooms, um, but doesn't necessarily stipulate what an accessible room is other than that maybe there's no steps in it and the door is wide enough for a wheelchair and that a wheelchair can turn around but that's about it. So you'll have, you know, rooms that look pretty much exactly the same as any other room in the hotel, but they have, you know, maybe a handrail in the bathtub and that's it. And therefore it's an accessible mm-hmm. room. So uh, I think, you know, a lot of times people with disabilities who have been traveling have, you know, seen all these times where people, you know, might have the right intentions, but uh, they don't have the knowledge and therefore they make things that aren't necessarily accessible. So I think the most important thing is to ask people ask the people who will be using those rooms or uh, toilets or tourist locations. And, uh, you know, we're plentiful uh, and we are more than willing to share our opinions. And just the fact that we'd be asked, I think a lot of people would be very excited uh, and eager to help. Um, And I think the other thing is to get a a variety of opinions. 
you know, I, I'm constantly reminding myself and reminding others that uh, just because I'm in a wheelchair doesn't mean I can speak for everybody with all disabilities. Even though the accessibility logo is somebody in a wheelchair, you know, actually of all people with disabilities, uh, I've heard something like it's under 20% of people uh, have mobility issues who are classified as disabled. And maybe under 5 or 2% even, I've heard, uh, are people who use wheelchairs uh, full time. So you can't just say that, oh, you know, it's easy for a wheelchair, therefore it's accessible. Um, you need to look at uh, people with visual impairments or hearing impairments or uh, autism or some other uh, learning disabilities. Uh, you know, they're all under the spectrum of having a disability. So I think it's important to get a lot of different opinions. I think most countries, I think increasingly, I'm, I'm finding that there are organizations in countries that deal specifically with accessibility and they are very involved in activism and that type of thing. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's also probably a, a, an access point for the tourism industry if, who are wanting to find out more. In a previous discussion, Josh, you raised some really interesting stats about the economic case of becoming universally accessible. If you could share some of that about um, your knowledge on that, because I found that fascinating. Yeah, um, well, I've had the opportunity to share um, about this kind of things here in Japan recently with the Paralympics coming up. I have a lot of speaking opportunities. Yeah, unfortunately, there's actually not a lot of statistics. I wish there were more. You know, it's one thing to get somebody's heart and that will last for a little while and you'll get some people's uh, you know, interest I think it's much more effective to reach out for somebody's wallet um, and that'll have a much bigger effect. And statistics are also great for governments. It's nice to have a nice story, but at the same time, if you have facts to back that up and give a good economic reason, then things are more likely to happen. For I think the biggest thing that I always try to tell people, um, it's from a Visit England uh, survey, anyways, that, is that people who have disabilities when they travel, they tend to have a multiplier effect. So that means that, first of all, they tend to stay longer than uh, people without disabilities at a certain location. I'm sure you've maybe had experience where, you know, there's a lot of effort in getting to the location where you're going to be. So it's easier, you want to maybe to enjoy it fully while you're there. So yeah. you stay maybe an extra day. Um, or maybe some people, you know, the, just the traveling itself is exhausting um, and need some time to acclimatize and just want to make the most of the, you know, the chance that they have to travel. Um, and so they tend to stay longer than people without disabilities. In addition to that, um, people who have disabilities also tend to travel with more people in their group. Uh, For example, I went back to Canada recently for New Year's, and uh, because I can't travel on my own, uh, I had to take one of my personal care attendants with me. So that meant that I bought two plane tickets, even though it's just me going home. Um, And then, uh, you know, well, in Canada, he bought a lot, my helper bought a lot of uh, gifts to bring back to Japan and, you know, food bills and stuff like that. So just me going back to visit my family in Canada uh, meant, you know, a higher uh, return than if it was just uh, someone without a disability going back. So it's a multiplier effect of being there longer and using having more people and therefore you're using more money in, your, in the location you're going to. So if a place uh, or a city or, uh, you know, tourist attraction puts an effort to become more accessible, I'm sure there's going to be upfront costs but that means there are going to be more people who are going to be able to go as well as they'll be like more likely to spend money there uh, than if they were just uh, you know tourists without disabilities. Um, and I think, you know, if you think about it, there's about 15% of the world population that has a disability. 
uh, you know, most places, most hotels or restaurants or whatever would do anything for an extra 15% uh, increase in customers. So, you know, here we are to come and take our money. I think that's so true because firstly, I, I hearing it in, in, in my terms, I guess, I like knowing that I have a base that I'm staying that is accessible. And right. from there, I, it's, it's easier for me to know that rather than going to three different Airbnbs or three different hotels, to know that the place that I'm staying is going to meet my needs. And also just knowing that most of us who do travel, travel with people. So, yeah, there is very definitely an economic case for that universal access. And well, then, in particular here in – oh, sorry. I was just going to ask, uh, talk about it's not just people with disabilities who benefit from universal design and universal accessibility. All people, all travelers will find that travel experience is improved. Well, yeah, for sure. Yeah, here in Japan, um, I, was, I was talking with somebody online and uh, and they visited Japan and they were really surprised that, you know, they saw a lot of signage and – it didn't just have somebody in a wheelchair, but it would have somebody in a wheelchair, somebody with a cane, somebody who was pregnant, uh, somebody with a bandage on their knee, you know, something that, you know, this was, you know, sort of maybe, I think it was the uh, accessible seating on a train. So this area is a priority seat. It's not, you know, just for people with disabilities, but it's for people who are seniors, people who are pregnant, people uh, who have maybe injured themselves. And, and I think, yeah, particularly in Japan anyways, where we have a super aging population, I think it's going to be about in the next two years or so. I think 20% of the population will be over 65 here wow. in Japan. You would say, oh, people with disabilities aren't the same as people who are elderly. But you know, a lot of the needs become the same. For example, on the Accessible Japan website, we help people find uh, uh, wheelchair rentals. And I was really surprised at first because I thought, you know, I always take my wheelchair with me. So who would need a wheelchair? But uh, I get so many requests for people who want to rent a wheelchair temporarily. And almost all of the cases are either somebody who has already, you know, planned a trip by a couple of weeks before they've, uh, you know, broken their leg um, or uh, a couple of people maybe who they bought, the, you know, they did all the planning a year ago and then now they're pregnant. So they, they don't want to cancel their trip, but they need the extra support of a wheelchair. And particularly from uh, families who are visiting from Asia, uh, they tend to come as a family and, Many of them travel um, as multi-generational families and therefore they are coming, you know, with their grandma and grandpa and their grandma and grandpa, you know, are fine for the most part. But when they travel around a lot, there's a lot of walking. So they want to uh, rent a wheelchair. Um, so, yeah, it's really been eye-opening that, you know, oh, really accessible travel isn't just for this group or this group. You know, it really helps so many different people. Yeah, I think that's so true. Well, we've discussed a number of different topics on accessible travel and on your platforms, but what is coming up in the near future for your accessible travel platforms? I guess the biggest thing is that, you know, in uh, less than 500 days now, uh, the Paralympics will be happening in Tokyo for Tokyo 2020. And that is, it's got the city abuzz. And uh, actually one of the, you know, cities who host the Olympics and Paralympics, they often talk about the legacy that they want mm -hmm. to leave in the city. And, um, it's been a prominent point that uh, our, the governor of Tokyo, that she wants to leave a legacy of uh, an accepting society and an inclusive society. And so that includes having um, universal design as a, a big push uh, for what they want to leave behind after the games. 
So that is definitely keeping me busy because um, I have pretty much captured the market on English speaking blogs about <laughs> accessibility in Japan. Uh, so I have many, many uh, talking uh, experience uh, uh, opportunities coming up. So I'm going to be doing things like um, I'll be speaking at Advertising Week Asia, as well as the Canadian Embassy and uh, the limousine bus that goes from airport the airport to hotels and doing things about talking about you know accessibility as well as you know just how to uh, interact with people with disabilities. I think it's just, it seems to be a, a universal thing that everybody wants to do something about uh, being accessible. But one of the first questions is like, you know, how do I talk to somebody with a disability? And you know that's sort of a, the biggest barrier that a lot of people have. Uh, so hopefully we'll uh, help prepare people's hearts as well. Uh, for people with disabilities uh, coming up for Tokyo. For the Accessible Travel Forum, um, well, on the podcast, I tried to get uh, maybe an episode a month out, uh, if possible. Um, so I'm looking forward to trying to get uh, one of those out every month consistently. And uh, so if anybody has any suggestions, please do get in contact. Um, and the site itself, um, you know, there's always room to grow and get more people on. And, um, you know, any place as a community, uh, the more people interactive, uh, interacting people that you have, uh, the better the community gets. Um, also, the richer the resources get. The more people you know, post information on it, uh, you know, the more that will show up in people's Google searches, and the more people will find uh, the information that's useful to them. So, hoping to uh, grow the platform more, get more people in. I'm also really excited to have anybody who is interesting interested in. Uh, moderating some of the forums. So it's not just one forum. There's a bunch of different forums. So it's all divided up maybe by country or by theme. So if anybody is interested in sort of maybe being the host for their particular area, for example, maybe if somebody uh, lives in Hawaii and uh, uh, maybe has a disability and lives there and wants to encourage people to enjoy, uh, come visit their, their beautiful islands, then they could... Uh, go on and share about Hawaii there and answer people's questions and share information. Uh, so that'd be great. As well as if anybody wants to start their own accessible travel blog, then we would love to have them on the platform. Which sounds absolutely great. And to help in building those communities, where can people find you online? Okay. Well, I'm going to be, uh, oh, I don't know what the English word is anymore. Uh, <laughs> Zuri is in Japanese, but uh, so I'm just going to be a bit Zuri and uh, or uh, crafty, I guess maybe, and uh, say that well, they, if they want to reach me, the best way to do that is on the Accessible Travel Forum. So they can go to accessibletravelforum.com. Uh, and I have three accounts there. I am ATF admin, obviously, uh, as well as Josh, uh, Josh Grizel, I guess I am, uh, as well as Accessible Japan. So I have accounts for each of those on the platform. Um, you can also find me at Accessible Japan. That's accessible-japan.com. Uh, there are Twitter and Facebook accounts for those. So you can look them up on there, both under Accessible Japan, if you look up on Facebook or Twitter. For Accessible Travel Forum, the name was too long. Uh, so a mistake on my part. So on Twitter, it's Accessible TF is what the handle is there. Um, and both of them have emails as well. So you can reach me at info at accessibletravelforum.com or info at accessible-japan.com. And I would be happy to reply. And I'd really encourage people to 
check out and 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 use those sites as amazing resources for travelers and accessibility information because there really is a lot of valuable information on those sites. Josh, as a final question, often people with disabilities are a little bit nervous about traveling. And I always try to find ways to inspire people to move beyond their disabilities and get out and experience this amazing, incredible, diverse world that we live in. What advice would you give to travelers or potential travelers with disabilities to help them overcome their fears of traveling? I can totally relate to that. I am a worrywart. I actually, you know what? I'll, I'll tell you a secret. I don't like flying. <laughs> so that's why I always say that, you know, I came to Japan, but I'm too afraid to fly back. So that's why I'm stuck. <laughs> I stay here. For me, anyways, uh, one thing that I always find that uh, calms my nerves is to do a lot of research. To A, by look up things on uh, the internet, try to find what resources, what people have already said about the place. But then also to get involved in different communities to by ask questions about, from people who live in the area. I think it can be a valuable resource. Uh, and I think, you know, people with disabilities are all over the world. So, yeah, they, on the travel form, you can also, you know, share about where it is you live and, uh, you know, answer people's questions. And so people can come and enjoy your part of the world as well. But, yeah, just finding friends and encouragement. I know for myself, the, the reason I came to Japan in the first place is that, you know, my, my family was very encouraging. And they helped me overcome my fears through a lot of planning. And for uh, the first time I came here, I came with my father. And, you know, that was really important for me. Um, they say they regret it now because I, I stayed here. But, you know, having that encouraging uh, encouragement and you know, support is very important uh, to help get rid of, you know, those, those extra nerves. And I encourage that, you know, after somebody, you know, after you've gotten over those uh, fears or whatever, and you've gone to where you want to visit and you've come back, I encourage people to, to share about their experiences um, in whatever platform they want because, you know, that uh, can be the encouragement for the next person that goes. I know that, you know, one of the reasons I want to have Accessible Japan is I know when I first came, there was, you know, not much information and it required a lot of extra work and I want other people to enjoy this great place I've discovered. And so I try to share so that the next person can have an easier time of coming and really enjoy it. So, I think just to research, talk to people, get encouragement and uh, ask for help. And then just to share after you've been there. That's really important. I think that is important because so much of our anxiety about going to somewhere that we've never been before is the uncertainty, not mm -hmm. knowing what it's likely to be like when we get there. So having places where we can find that knowledge and research the information that we need to know can help us to overcome those anxieties. And then also, I think, as you said, is a very important part to share our experiences so that others also can have their anxieties dealt with as well. Mm -hmm. So very great advice there. Thank you so much. I also want to add that, you know, of course, that, uh, you know, I've invested invested interest in uh, my sites, but more than anything, I want to encourage people just to ask questions and to share in any place they feel comfortable, you know, whether it's on Facebook or on Twitter or any other platform. I'm not here to say that, you know, mine's the best or anything like that, because, you know, it's, it's probably not. And everybody has, you know, their own ways that they're comfortable. You know, you, you have Twitter and Facebook coexisting because they meet different needs. So I just want to encourage people to use whatever means makes them feel comfortable and uh, to share in those places and ask questions in those places. So anywhere is good. That's fantastic. Josh, thanks so much for joining us on the Accessible South Africa Travel Podcast as our first international guest. It's been really great to have you with us. And we acknowledge and really appreciate not only what you've shared with us this evening, but just some of the, the work that you are doing to help make travel for us as persons with disabilities more exciting. 
Well, it's been my pleasure, and uh, and I hope to maybe invite you to uh, come visit Japan sometime, and uh, you can uh, enjoy the great uh, sight, uh, the great sounds, and uh, tastes, and uh, sense, and everything that Japan has to offer. It's definitely on my list of places to go. <laughs> All right, Josh, thanks so much. My pleasure. In today's service provider spotlight, we're traveling to the V&A waterfront in Cape Town for a visit to the Cape Wheel. The Cape Wheel is a 40 meter high observation wheel with 30 secure air conditioned compartments, two of which are wheelchair friendly. On the ride, which does four rotations, you'll be able to get panoramic views of Cape Town, Table Mountain, the city skyline, Robben Island, the Powell Mountains, and the magnificent Cape Town Stadium. To find out more about the Cape Wheel, you can visit the Accessible South Africa website on www.accessiblesouthafrica.co.za where you'll find images, a map and contact details and as always we suggest you contact them directly to ensure that your particular needs can be accommodated. You'll find the Cape Wheel on the website under the activities tab. That's it from us for this time. You can find Accessible South Africa on the web at accessiblesouthafrica.co.za or on Facebook and Instagram at Accessible South Africa or on Twitter at Accessible SA. You can also email us at podcast at accessiblesouthafrica.co.za. Editing by Deirdre Gower. Our theme music is by Louis Chichao, based on a motif by Lois Strachan. Credits read by Andre de Toy, the big positive guy. Thanks for joining us on Accessible South Africa Travel Podcast. We'll see you next time. And until then, Happy travels.